Welcome to the sermon podcast of Kusada Baptist Church. We want to be a lighthouse to guide you on your journey through life. Listen as our pastor, Dr. Jim Graham, shares a message from God's Word and offers sound biblical direction for your daily life. While it's exciting to be able to share with you this morning, um, today is a little bit bittersweet for me. Uh, because while I'm not so dramatic to think that this is the last time that I will ever share to this congregation from this stage. In, in fact, this is the last time that I get to share with the entire congregation as your student pastor. Um, in just a few short weeks, we will be headed to Wetumpka, and I'll be the pastor at Village Church. Uh, and so I just wanted to say uh, thank you. Um, thank you for letting me return to my home church, uh, the place where I met and married my wife, the place where I had my kids, uh, the place where I baptized my kids, the place that ordained me into the ministry of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Um, Casada Baptist Church is a very special place for me and my family. We have met lifelong friends here, and we have met partners in ministry along the way. And I'll never forget when Brother Jim first called me and said, Patrick, would you ever consider coming back and being our student pastor? Because in my mind, this was the unobtainable thing to be able to come back to my home church and to serve on staff here because, hey guys, let's face it, right? Casada Baptist could have went out and got anybody, anybody they wanted to. And you guys chose to bring me. And I will forever be grateful for that belief in me. You've helped me grow as a preacher. You've helped me grow as a pastor. Um, and little did we all know what God was doing. See, while we didn't know exactly what it would look like six years ago, God did. Six years ago, God knew that he would be planting his church in Wetumpka, Alabama, and he needed me to be able to lead on a level that I had never led before. So thank you for your love and for your support for the past six years um, as God was doing something bigger than any of us could ever really imagine at that point. But beyond my personal acknowledgments and thank yous, um, as I was preparing for today, I really started thinking about, if this is my last chance, what do I want to say to my church as I go? And I realized this is it. This is a God-given opportunity. And it may be, who knows, it may be the last chance I get to speak with you guys. And I definitely didn't want to squander it. I didn't want to waste it. And it didn't take long before God was already going, Patrick, I think this is what I want you to say to them. Didn't take long at all. But as I've told you before, when your pastor lets you come and speak in the middle of one of their sermon series, you don't take the good ones, right? <laughs> so I had to check up. I was like, hey, uh, Brother Jim, uh, I'm thinking about preaching this passage. Is this a part of your preaching plan for this sermon series? And Jim said, no. And I was shocked because, guys, if there is a greatest hits in 2 Timothy, like here's cut one, cut two, all that, this, this section of Scripture, it's on that album. You know what I'm saying? It's on that album. And so I couldn't believe that he didn't plan to preach it. And it was just, for me, it was just more confirmation that this is what the Lord wanted me to share as I go. So in this passage, you can feel a sense of urgency from Paul. He knows that his end is near. He knows that his earthly death is imminent. And he knows he's about to be gone. 
and that he needs Timothy to understand that suffering and glory are all the same thing. They're all encompassed in being a minister of the gospel and sharing the gospel of Jesus Christ. So that's what we're going to focus on today. Uh, We'll be in 2 Timothy chapter 4, beginning in verse 5. God's word says this, but you should keep a clear mind in every situation. Don't be afraid of suffering for the Lord. Work at telling others the good news and fully carry out the ministry God has given you. As for me, my life has already been poured out as an offering to God. The time of my death is near. So I really just have four things that I want to share with you this morning. Um, As I go, if this is the last chance I get to tell you something, um, I want you to know that I love this church. And there is tremendous potential beyond even what we're doing now. And so my challenge to you this morning in these four things is to keep going, to let nothing stop you. So the first thing I want to tell you this morning is make sure to pour yourself out. Make sure to pour yourself out. Paul doesn't want Timothy to miss this point. He doesn't want Timothy to shrink back and wonder, is it worth, is it, worth it to pursue Christ with my life? Like, because this, it, you know, some of us go, well, it's worth it to pursue Christ in these areas, but, but every believer should have this goal. We should pursue Christ with the entirety of our life, with the entirety of who we are. Live your life as an offering unto the Lord. Live your life as an offering unto his kingdom. Don't hold back. Don't be afraid to give every bit of yourself away. Live your life as if you are expendable. Because we are. We are. See, we, we all have different needs, um, different desires in our lives, but I think there are some needs and some desires that we all share. They're kind of innately born into us. And one of those desires is to matter. We all want to matter. We want to be appreciated now and remembered forever. And in our minds, that's the only way that we can matter. Our worth is found in this, in our minds. Our worth is found in the number of people who know what we do and then subsequently value it. That's how we think we matter. So how many of you know a woman by the name of Cleo Thornton? One person. I had nobody in the first service. She was this sweet little old lady who walked down East 3rd Street in Montgomery, Alabama, knocking on doors. And she invited my family to church when I was just a little boy. She came knocking. She, she didn't know that she was inviting a church leader. She didn't know that she was inviting a future pastor. Miss Cleo just knew that she was simply pouring herself out into the ministry of Jesus Christ, the ministry that she had been given. And she could barely get around. She just shuffled. She was, she was elderly. But she understood her purpose. She understood that her purpose was to pour herself out as a living sacrifice. And I know that I'm not the only person that Miss Cleo knew or led to the Lord, but is there a statue of her anywhere? There's not. Is there a movie about her life? There's not. And guess what? That's okay. That's perfectly fine. Because she understood the purpose of her life. 
The purpose of all of our lives is to pour ourselves out that the kingdom of God might be advanced, that people might know him, and then we disappear. We die and we move, we move from this reality into the existence of heaven. Beloved, listen to me. You have a limited number of years on this earth. You have limited strength. Look, I look around this room and I see some younger guys and as young and as strong as you are right now, you will be old, weak, and feeble. All of us will. You have a limited number of resources. What are you going to do with those things? What are you going to do with the number of years that the Lord has given you, with the strength he has equipped you with, and with the resources he has equipped you with? I want to challenge you to live your life in such a way that you will impact generations that will never, ever know your name. When you think about an offering in the Bible, it's always consumed. If it's a burnt offering, it's burned to ash. If it's a drink offering or a blood offering, the blood or the drink gets absorbed. And in the end, there's really nothing that remains. In 100 years, nothing will remain of us. And the vast majority of us in this room, no one will remember our names. And guess what? That's okay. That's okay. But the impact of our obedience will still be pointing people to Jesus when our accolades and our trophies and our achievements are nothing but dust. When you have that kind of perspective, because we all want to matter, we all want to live forever somehow, None of that stuff matters. It all goes away. But your obedience can lead people to Christ that never meet you. There are so many students, there's two students up there. Miss Cleo is a part of that. They don't know that. They, they didn't know that till this morning. And there will be students and there will be adults 100 years from now because of your obedience that will come to find the Lord and they will never know your name. And that's fine. Because if we're giving our lives as an offering, pouring ourselves out, nothing will remain, and that's fine. That's the way it's supposed to be. See, holding back isn't worth it. It's not worth it. So pour yourself out completely that his name might be known. Pour yourself out completely that they might know him. That's the only way we actually matter in this life. It's the only way. We surrender everything we have, everything we are, to the purpose of Jesus Christ. That is how we matter. So don't forget to pour yourself out. The first part of verse 7, Paul says this to Timothy. He says, I have fought the good fight. And when Paul talks about fighting the good fight, for some of us that fires us up. Because like my wife, Brooke, she's, she's all about justice. She wants people to be treated fairly and as they should and not dismissed for whatever reason. So for some of us, we sit here, fight the good fight. We get keyed up, like, let's go. We want to do something. Um, But as I go, I want you to remember to fight for the right things. And I want you to remember to fight against the right things. Ultimately, when we're talking about fighting for our faith, we're really talking about one thing. And if we get this one thing right, everything else kind of takes care of itself, and it's fight for the kingdom. We have to fight for the kingdom. Look, I know that all across this room, there are all different kinds of people. We come from all different kinds of backgrounds. We come from all different experiences. We all come from different levels and different types 
of brokenness. And sometimes that can cause friction. Truthfully, for some of you, you don't know the person across the room. You don't know anything about them. And you don't have anything in common with them. So not only do you have different backgrounds and different perspectives, you might even have different preferences. And oh, buddy, that's where church world goes sideways, doesn't it? When we worry about preferences. Well, again, I want to tell you, none of those things matter. They're not the right things to fight for. See, if you're worried about if the carpet's green and the pews are still red, that's not the right thing to focus on. If you're worried about, well, I don't like, I don't like a guitar, I like piano and organ, that's not the right thing to f- focus on because, first of all, we're not worshiping you. If you didn't like it, that's okay because it wasn't for you. It wasn't for you. If the piano and the organ were still on the stage, you're like, I don't like that old fogey music. That's okay. It's not for you. Not for you. We're worshiping the one and only living God. But churches, we get caught up in fighting over those kind of things, don't we? What color the carpet is, you know, how loud that guitar was, how loud them drums are. We get focused on the wrong things and we infight. And when we infight, the world looks at that and they don't want what we have. Because we talk about peace and love and unity in Christ and they see us fighting over these silly, trivial things. So I want to implore you to fight for the kingdom. The Bible is full of passages that speak of building each other up, and the whole purpose of that is so that we might build the kingdom up. It's not about us. If your goal is to help the person across the room that you know nothing about, find and follow Jesus. You are fighting for the kingdom. If you're a person that cares greatly about seeing men and women and boys and girls be saved and then then baptized. And so you're pouring yourself out into these different ministries. You're pouring yourself out into your ministry. Listen, every believer has a ministry. Every believer. Doesn't matter that you're not on church at a staff, uh, staff at a church, that none of that matters. You have a ministry. But if you're fighting for those things and pouring yourself out, you are fighting for the kingdom. When you think to yourself, how can we do things where we can reach more people? Please understand you are fighting for the kingdom. The whole mission is to fight the good fight, to advance the kingdom of God to the ends of the earth. And so if you want to know what that's like, then fight for the church. Because when you fight for the church, you advance the kingdom. And when we fight in the church, we cripple the kingdom. We cripple it. The Bible talks about us as the body of Christ. And when we're injuring and wounding ourselves, we cripple the kingdom. And when the, when the kingdom is crippled, we can't reach out like we should and could. So make sure you're fighting for the church and not in the church. But I do want to avoid you, I want to warn you about avoiding battles. See, don't make the mistake of someone's proximity in the kingdom to a citizenship with the kingdom. Does that make sense? Just because they're in church, just because they're here, doesn't necessarily make them a citizen of the kingdom. There are attacks on the kingdom that will come from within. And so, you know, Jude warns us about this, Peter warns us about this, and we have to be willing to stand up and fight against those things. So I've been a student pastor for 10 plus years, 
And one of the things we adults do really, really well is this thing called projection. We put our stuff on other people. And so one of the things that happens in youth ministry all the time, and don't get me wrong, there are some churches that youth ministry is nothing more than basketball and play in church. Like those youth ministries exist. But there are a lot of good youth ministries that are not playing church. But that's what we do. We accuse them of playing church. They just come to hang out with that girl, or they just come for social connections, or they just come so it looks good on a resume. Does that sound familiar to anybody? See, adults, we're guilty of that too. We're guilty of the the very same thing. So I want to challenge you in these next few things to fight for the kingdom. And I want you to know that I'm doing this in love because I love this church and I value what we can and have and will do through the ministry God has given us. So what really is your small group? Has it become a place where the word of God is the last thing considered and the last thing talked about? If it is, fight for the kingdom. If it's become a place in your friend group, the people you associate with, and you look no different than the rest of the world, you sound no different than the rest of the world, fight for the kingdom. So even if you're the one facilitating those things, you're the friend that's letting it happen, or you're the Sunday school teacher that's letting it happen, and you've just kind of been facilitating this apathetic misappropriation of God's time, today I want to ask you to repent. I want to ask you to repent and then fight for the kingdom from that moment. It's not too far gone. It's not lost. That's the beauty of Jesus Christ. No matter where we are, we can always come back. So if you're in that moment and you're feeling your toes stepped on right now, it's okay. Repent and come back home and fight for the kingdom. If in your home, Jesus' name is never spoken, like the only place your kids hear you say Jesus and and talk about spiritual things is in these four walls, fight for the kingdom. And men, this starts with us. It starts with us. We as men have to stop letting culture dictate how, what our families look like. Because for too long, culture has taught us, well, the wife's going to handle everything anyway, and I'm just going to mess it up. And we have sat into that role that isn't ours to have. We've sat down and we've conceded and we're apathetic and we're lethargic, and we just want our kids and our wife to leave us alone because we've worked eight hours, and we want to just do what we want to do. Stop and fight for the kingdom. If you wonder why the world looks the way it does, it's because we have laid down as men. Stand up and fight for the kingdom. That your home could be different. That your community could be different. That the world might be different. It starts with us, men. We have a spiritual um, assignment to lead our homes. So if you're out in the world and you hear damaging or erroneous things about Jesus Christ or you hear these false gospels or you hear people trashing his church, step into that moment and say something. And some of us go, well, I I can't step into that moment, Patrick, because I don't know enough information. I I don't know the Bible like I should to be able to engage in that conversation. I want to tell you all, there are over 100 English Bible translations on your phone right now. The Bible app is free, and there's 100 English translations. We have no excuse in not knowing the Word. So if you want to see change, 
fight for the kingdom. If you want to be able to step into those conversations and engage people with the truth, know the truth. It's available. You don't have to be ignorant. You don't have to be blind. Jesus came to open the eyes of the blind. And his word illuminates this world. And there are people that need light. And they need you to fight for the kingdom. They need me to fight for the kingdom. We have to quit laying down and staying silent. In the second part of verse 7, Paul continues this way. I have finished the race and I have remained faithful. So the next thing I want to tell you, church, is don't become lazy and stubborn. Don't become lazy and stubborn. Because things are good until they're not. Until they're not. And so sometimes we have to change. I started coming to this church as a poor, uneducated 15-year-old kid from the ghetto. Literally from the ghetto. And I'll be 43 this September. And in that time, I've seen many, many changes at this church. But changes can be resisted. And two of the major reasons we resist change is laziness and stubbornness. And laziness presents itself this way a lot of times. It's all about our comfort. You know, we've, we've always done things this way, and we've never done things that way, and, and this works for us. Why would we change? It's a really good question. It's a really good question. Why would we change? We have a, a great body. We have lots of members. We have awesome facilities, awesome leaders, awesome uh, resources and programs. But what if we needed to change to finish the race? This happened during the pandemic. We had to change everything. There was a moment when we're watching the sermon on our couch, and that was weird. Like, I had never done that before, and it was hard to stay plugged in. And there was a moment where we were having communion, and I'm drinking sweet tea and eating a saltine. Right? Y'all remember? We did weird things. We did different things. We had to. We had to change. And no one, no one in this room saw that coming. No one knew we would be sitting there with a pack of saltines and sweet tea going, do this in remembrance of me, I guess? No one knew that. So we have no idea what's coming down the pipe. So what if in 10 to 15 years, we have to do something drastically different to reach the lost? It would take us getting out of the normal. It would take us getting out of ourselves to accomplish it. And my fear is that some would say, well, we're good. I know they can't make it. I know they can't come, but like, I'm good. Are you good? Like, if they, if they can't make it, like, that's on them. Like, we're, we're doing this thing, and like, I'm sorry that everything's changed, but we're not changing. Remember, the mission is to reach the lost. It's to reach the lost. But please know this. We never, ever, ever compromise or change the gospel. Jesus Christ is the way, the truth, the life. No one comes to the Father except through him. We, we don't change that. There is no other name. We sang it earlier, the name above every other name. 
the name by which men and women and boys and girls are saved, Jesus Christ is the only name that that can happen. But what if we need it to change the method of delivering the gospel like we did during COVID? What if we, what if we need it to change the day of the week? What if for whatever reason, and again, we don't know, we have no idea, we didn't see that coming. What if we had to start having church on Thursdays? Thursdays at six. What if we had to change the time? Like we still got to do it on Sunday, but it's Sundays at 3.30 in the afternoon. What if things had to change? See, too much change is unsettling and, and uncomfortable for people, and it confuses people. So we never change just to change, but may we never be the church that says, well, we've always done it this way. There are times where we must change to meet the needs of those who need Jesus. We must change to meet the needs of those who need Jesus. And this is why it is so important for us to build, listen, build and maintain a culture that is open to change. Where necessary change isn't just acceptable, it's the mode of operation. We don't fight it. This is why, so that churches can grow. I want you to know churches that refuse necessary change, they don't finish the race. They don't. Churches that refuse to make necessary changes, they get stuck and they shrink and they die. And sometimes it's a, it's a slow, agonizing death. But we can also get stubborn about who we let attend our church circles. But remember, finishing the race is about reaching the lost. Don't, don't turn away people that don't get it. Don't expect someone who is lost to act as anything different. Don't expect someone who's lost to act like someone who's known the Lord for years. See, I know that it would be more comfortable. I know that it would be way easier if we just kind of held up in our holy huddles and we resisted people that don't get it. They ask uncomfortable questions. They don't know what to do. They don't understand church culture. But that's not the race that's laid before us. The race that is laid before us is to reach the lost. It's like Brother Jim said last week, we have to be patient. We have to be patient and teach them. We have to teach them how to know God's commandments. They don't even know what they are. We have to be patient as they learn to love the Lord. We have to be patient as they're being changed. So don't forget how lost you and I were before Jesus Christ came into the picture. Don't forget that moment and then deny the people who don't get it the same grace that saved you. The same grace that changed you. Listen, the same grace that is changing us. We're not done yet. We're not done yet. We can't allow laziness and stubbornness to box us in. The race set before us is to make sure that Jesus' name is known. And that doesn't change. And it doesn't change based on our preference. It doesn't change based on our convenience or our comfort. We press on and we, we follow through with the assignment. We finish the race 
The assignment doesn't change until the assignment changes, and the assignment only changes if Jesus returns or you get called home to heaven. That's the only point. Until then, you haven't finished the race, and you've got to keep running that race. We must remain faithful to the course set before us. If we hope to finish this race and not end up on the sidelines, we have to be willing to do whatever it takes to reach a world that is in desperate need with the gospel. We can't be lazy. We can't be stubborn. And the last thing I want to share with you this morning is in verse 8. And now the prize awaits me, the crown of righteousness, righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will give me on the day of his return. And the prize is not just for me, but for all who eagerly look forward to his appearing. And here's the reason why we do the things we do. This is why we pour ourselves out. This is why we fight for the kingdom. This is why we don't let apathy and laziness and stubbornness creep into our church because God's riches are also for them. Church, there is a world that is lost and they are dying every single day without hope. And Paul puts it perfectly. He says, this isn't just for me. This is for anyone who would believe. And this is the beauty of the gospel. Anyone can achieve this prize. Anyone can obtain the crown of righteousness. And so my plea to you, church, is never stop being the church that reaches the lost. Never stop being the church that allows a 15-year-old kid who's from the ghetto, who doesn't know any better, to walk through that door and find hope. Never stop being that church because God's riches are for all of them too. Remember, it's not about us. It's about finishing the race and the assignment doesn't change. So continue to pour yourself out knowing that the only name that matters is his name. Don't seek your glory, seek his. Never stop reaching this generation. Never stop reaching the next generation. And don't you dare discount them. Because here's the thing. Some of us old people, we need what they have. They have new methods. They have new strategies that we haven't even begun to think of to reach the world for the gospel. So don't discount them. Don't discredit them. Finally, I want to I fight for the kingdom this morning by presenting the gospel to you. See, Jesus Christ really lived. And Jesus Christ really died. And he was buried dead in a tomb. And on the third day, he rose from the grave. And on that day, he conquered sin and death forever. Romans chapter 10, verses 9 and 10, gives us this beautiful promise. If you openly declare that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, four of the most beautiful words in the English language, if you do those things, you will be saved. Verse 10, for it is by believing in your heart that you are made right with God, and it is by openly declaring your faith that you are saved. So if you're here today and you don't know Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, I want to tell you a few things. First, I want you to know that he's for you. He's for you. 
I, I don't know what you've been through out there in the world. I don't know what you've been through in your life. I don't know what happened this morning. Some of you are sitting here and you're, you're here alone and you, you are scared to death when the service is over. You're going to have to go home and face a battle. And I, I don't know those things for you. And for some of us, it makes us feel like, well, God isn't, isn't for me, but he is. He's for you. He's not against you. He wants you. That's the thing. He wants you. And there's nothing that you've done in your past. There's nothing, nothing too big that would make him not want you. And so this morning, I want to give you an opportunity to respond to that call. Because if you believe those things and you profess before man that he is Lord, you will be saved. This is part of what it looks like to fight for the kingdom, to say the hard things. I know this morning wasn't an easy message, but sometimes, church, we have to be woken up so that we remember what matters, so we remember who matters. So maybe this morning salvation isn't what you need. You're a Christian. Maybe this morning you've, you've not been pouring yourself, pour, pouring yourself out in any way. And you want to commit to do that. Maybe you've been the one that has just not been fighting for the kingdom. You've been allowing your circles and your small group and your home to be this chaotic, terrible place. That's okay. You can change that today. You can make the pledge. Men, men, lead, lead. Show them what it looks like. Lead. Maybe you've fallen into a trap of laziness and stubbornness and apathy. You don't have to stay there. Today is the day where you can change everything. And the reason we change it is because they need it. And maybe you're the person in the room today, you need it. You need a church that loves you like that. So I'm not going to ask you to do anything other than what the Holy Spirit is leading you to do. I'm going to pray, and we're going to have a time of decision. And if you want to come talk to me, I'll be down front. If you want to come pray at the altar, you want to gather some people and pray in the corners, however you want to do it. The only thing I ask is that you just do it, that you respond to what the Holy Spirit is leading you to do. Let me pray for you. Father, I thank you for this morning. I thank you that in our weakness and in our frailty, when we don't pour ourselves out, when we don't dedicate our lives to the mission, when we don't fight for the kingdom and we become lazy, you give us opportunities to return, to repent from those things and to come home. And every time, every time you welcome us home. Father, give us the boldness and courage that we need to take steps today, whether in this moment or this afternoon. But God, don't let us let this moment pass by without responding to what you want us to do. Lord, we love you. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for listening to our podcast. It is our prayer that it's been helpful in this part of your life journey. We invite you to join us at Kusada Sunday mornings for worship. Visit our website at kusadabaptist.org for directions and more information about our church.